Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. My name is Dr. Yasmin Farshad, Practitioner Education Manager for Wise Women Herbals. And I want to welcome you to today's talk entitled Botanical Support for a Healthy Menopause. This is part two of two of the Botanical Approaches to Women's Wellness series, sponsored by the Wise Women Herbals Practitioner Learning Community. If you've attended any of our previous events, we're so happy to have you back. And if this is your first time joining us, we extend an extra warm welcome to you. Menopause affects women differently. Um, for some, it may be a celebration honoring the transition into a new chapter of life, while for others, it may feel more like a burden while trying to uh, manage fluctuating symptoms. Moving through this phase comfortably is a priority, however, and nature does op offer options uh, to support a healthy hormone production and menopausal process so that symptoms are more manageable and less uncomfortable. Uh, this presentation is useful for any practitioner lurk, uh, working in women's health and who wishes to provide foundational support using botanical medicine. Today, clinical herbalist Chris Vaughn will provide an overview of menopause, conventional approaches, and botanical therapeutics for menopausal support. This class offers her experience using botanicals for supporting women through the menopausal transition. Chris Vaughn is a certified clinical herbalist, as well as the owner and program director of Herbal Wisdom Institute in Arizona. Chris has been a part of the Wise Women Herbals family for 10 years and is the director of practitioner experience. He's a board certified holistic health care practitioner, holistic health practitioner, and a certified Reiki practitioner. Chris is an avid camper and known as the crazy herb lady. If you've had her as an instructor, you would know that her passion for plants radiates through her smile and her love of them is just contagious. Um, especially if you've been on a plant walk with her, you'll know what, exactly what I'm talking about or even sit through a class with her. I've had the pleasure of working with her for the last five years and she's been my botanical mentor for most of that time. She lives in Northern Arizona with her family and two Mastiffs where she enjoys regular plant walks and creating botanical educational events and opportunities for her community. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here again. I'm really looking forward to talking with everyone about supporting healthy menopause. This became um, an important topic to me when I hit the menopausal years and um, really starting to get super frustrated whenever I would go to um, a, a healthcare practitioner or a doctor that first of all was a man <laughs> and second of all could or it was somebody who was very young and really did not have any experience in menopause and what does that feel like and I would get really frustrated so this became kind of a passion of mine to figure out how to get through the menopausal years comfortably. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, let me do a little bit of disclaimer here. Let me get my screen to work, actually. There we go. Okay, so this is me for those of you who um, have not been on a class with me before. I'm Chris Vaughn, again, owner and program director of Herbal Wisdom Institute, also director of practitioner experience for Wise Woman Herbals. I just want to give the disclaimer that this presentation is all um, from my work as a clinician and an herbalist for over 10 years, um, and that what I'm going to share is not necessarily the beliefs of Wise Woman Herbals, although this presentation is graciously sponsored by 
Wise Woman Herbals in the practitioner learning community. So thank you to Wise Woman Herbals for having me come on and teach today. So we're going to go over um, a variety of things related to menopause. We're going to talk about um, just a brief overview of menopause and the hormones that are at play. We're going to talk a little bit about how our societal beliefs um, play a factor in the different symptoms that people experience. Um, we'll talk about a few specific ones, hot flashes, mood balance, menstrual irregularities, and then vaginal dryness and thinning tissue. And around all of that, um, we'll be talking about nutritional support as well as botanical considerations. And then at the end, I'm even going to share with you my sample protocol so that you really have a practical way to put all of this together um, and begin to uh, use this in your practice um, or for yourself. So uh, menopause is really a very natural, normal part of aging. And we really live in a world that um, treats it like a disease. Um, I tend to look at it as this is, this is my birthright. But it comes with some uncomfortable side effects for, or symptoms for, for many people. Some people can go through menopause and, and not really experience the hot flashes or the mood swings or, you know, some people don't sleep. That's when it gets very debilitating. Um, and this usually, we say the average age of menopause is 50 to 52. That's about when menopause is expected um, to complete the transition. Um, and we have complete cessation of menstrual cycles, and that's determined by going um, a full year without a menstrual cycle. That's when they um, consider that you have completed menopause. Now, the process happens for many years before that, that whole premenopausal time uh, where we begin to have these vari this variety of symptoms happening. And so this can be anywhere from seven to 10 years that someone is going through this, this process of transition. And that's really all it is. You know, we have a few different life cycles as women that we transition through. And that transition is not always comfortable, but it can be made more comfortable. And so that's what we'll talk about today. You know, so we first were a young girl and we transition into our childbearing years. That's puberty, right? And so that's a very like, wild hormonal time. And then after childbearing years, we transition into menopause. And so that time where we no longer need to bear children. And, and so I look at this time as, as really kind of this exciting time of freedom. But not everyone looks at it that way. And not everyone um, skates through this unscathed. So, um, you know, we, there's been this, this um, looking at the variety of symptoms and why do so many women experience menopause so differently. And so a lot of it is how does our culture look at menopause? And so, you know, do we live in an older is better belief or an older is not better belief? So in societies where older women are considered to be very wise and very respected, then menopausal symptoms seem to be less bothersome. 
And um, Dr. Mary Minkin, a professor at Yale, um, these are some statements that she made in a study that she did. And, and she said, where older is not better, many women equate menopause with old age. And then symptoms seem to be more devastating. And so this really is all um, tied to the severity of symptoms is really tied to how do we feel about this time of our life and how do we feel about our role as women um, as we in society, in our families, in our relationships, as we go through this time and, and how do we perceive ourselves as women in our older years? Uh, you know, I was in, I was listening to a class and for the life of me, I cannot remember what her name was, but she was this fantastic practitioner and speaker and, um, in her menopausal years and gray hair, beautiful woman. Um, and she would say that she used to pray to be very wise. And God said to her, you can either be wise or beautiful. What do you choose? And she said, I choose wise. <laughs> so she said, so you can see from my gray hair that I'm very wise, you know, but I looked at her and thought she's very beautiful too. There's beauty in that freedom that comes in that time of our life. And so that's how I choose to look at coming into this menopausal time. So there was a study that was done in 1970 um, where they looked at the difference in symptoms in Western culture and in non-Western cultures. And I found this really fascinating because um, different places, women experience very different things in menopause. And so in the United States, the most common complaint is hot flashes and night sweats. And that's, so this was back in 1970, and this is probably still the biggest complaint today. And then I would add, you know, sleep issues as well um, today. Now, in this study, they also looked at 483 women in India, and their most common complaint was changes in the menstrual cycle, and they really made no mention of hot flashes at all. About a decade later in Japan, the women that were studied there, were their main complaint was shoulder stiffness, and the complaint of hot flashes was very rare. And then in Hong Kong, they also complained of joint stiffness. So um, the other commonality that was found in this is that in all of the non-Western cultures, the women rated their symptoms as being very mild. Where in Western, in the United States specifically, we rate our symptoms as being severe. And so why were there the differences in the types of symptoms experienced and in the severity? Is it surrounding lifestyle? Um, or is it our diet that is different? Or is it our beliefs around menopause? Or is it all three? So do we look at menopause as an end or a beginning? And so this really is the basis of our philosophy on menopause, depending on where you're from. So here in the United States, we really live in this youth idolizing culture. And many people look at menopause as an end 
of womanhood and an end to our, our femininity and our sexuality and um, our sensuality. And, um, and so we also then have this medical system that treats menopause as a disease and that it needs to be medicated. Now, you, you go into a practitioner, and a, a, especially a conventional medicine practitioner, and I experienced this, so I'm going to talk to you from my experience, and I come into the practitioner with um, some very basic symptoms of not sleeping well, and um, I was having some hot flashes, and immediately they want to recommend hormone replacement therapy. Now, I understand when we're going through menopause, we're having um, a drop in estrogen, and we're going to talk about the estrogen in a little bit, but we begin to ha experience this drop in estrogen, and so we are at risk for things like osteoporosis and some heart disease, That so that just comes along with that drop in estrogen, and so that seems to be like, number one, they want to automatically put us on hormone replacement therapy, and I had to tell my practitioners over and over that unless my symptoms were severe and debilitating, I was not willing to do hormone replacement therapy because I really felt like this is the natural normal process that my body is supposed to be going through. And so I was going to do as much natural support as I could to go through this process. Now in India, women view menopause as a rite of passage. And so there is this understanding that women after menopause could now come and be with men publicly and talk and joke with men as an equal, as opposed to having to be hidden in the women's quarters. And so it's really interesting how in the different cultures we view this time of life very different. And so I can't help but believe that, and, and, you know, I look back at like how we view puberty as well and how we view a woman's menstrual cycle is very similar to this. And so in many cultures, the menstrual time, that, that time of, of menses, um, women are viewed as being very powerful during that time. And in the United States, we view that time as being like a jail sentence. And so we have a lot of young girls who have very debilitating symptoms that are surrounding their philosophy on menstruation. And so, of course, that carries over to menopause. So let's talk a little bit about the actual hormone shifts that are happening, just so we have a basic overview of that. So estrogen is the first hormone. This is actually really a combination of hormones. So you have estradiol. Um, which is largely, this one is produced in the ovaries and it is the strongest of the estrogens. And then we have estrone, um, which is predominant estrogen that we have after menopause. So um, then estriol, which is the weakest of the estrogens. And this is primarily from our adrenal glands, our liver, um, and in our fat and muscle tissue. And so after puberty, estrogen is essential for stimulating the growth of eggs, thickening the uterine lining, enhancing the growth of breast tissue. And during menopause, the ovaries don't 
they, they don't produce this as much because the ovaries are not needed at like they were before. So we begin to reduce our production of estrogen in the ovaries. There's a, when we have a sudden drop of the estrogen, that's when we start to have the hot flashes, the night sweats. We start to experience vaginal dryness. We can have urinary incontinence. Uh, we can we get a change in the pH level in the vaginal tissue, and so we can get uh, chronic yeast infections or chronic bacterial infections, chronic urinary tract infections. But women also will begin to experience some brain fog, fuzzy thinking. Uh, maybe they get cyclical headaches. Um, and then, of course, we get the mood imbalance where we can have depression or we can experience anxiety during this time. And so these are the things that will typically bring a woman into her practitioner to seek out some treatment or some herbal therapies. Um, and again, every woman will experience these in varying degrees um, based around what, um, what her hormone levels are, but also her lifestyle, her diet, those kinds of things. The second hormone is progesterone, and so this is primarily responsible for aiding in the implantation of fertilized eggs and maintaining pregnancy. That's the role of progesterone, and this is also made by the ovaries. And so we have a progesterone level um, to aid in pregnancy. When we don't become pregnant, progesterone levels fall, and the uterine lining sheds and menstruation occurs. Now, as we go into um, perimenopause, this is the first hormone that will begin to decline um, because we're coming to that age where we no longer need to get pregnant and maintain pregnancy. And so um, oftentimes uh, a practitioner will prescribe Provera, which is a progestin, um, as a replacement for this. And, it, and studies have shown that it can reduce hot flashes, but that it doesn't have any positive effect on bone density. So when we're looking at hormone replacement therapy as a protection for um, bone loss, that, that particular medication really hasn't shown any effect for that. Um, now, it, has, it was estimated that at this time, more than 50% of women in our society are in their menopausal years. So we have a lot of women really seeking help in this area. So the first main thing that someone's going to complain about is hot flashes. And when I started getting hot flashes, I remember being out camping and it was winter time we were camping. And so, you know, I'm talking like 25, 30 degrees out and I'm standing outside in a tank top. Everyone else is bundled up and my husband's like, Oh yeah, we're there. Yep. It's that time. <laughs> and so these hot flashes are, like I said before, mainly due to a, dramatic drop in estrogen levels, a very quick drop in the estrogen level. And so sometimes estrogen replacement therapy provides relief. About 80% of women with hot flashes will get some relief um, with estrogen replacement, but not all women can tolerate estrogen replacement well. And so approximately 30% of women who begin hormone replacement therapy end up stopping it within that first year because the other symptoms that come along with it can be too much. So what do we do uh, nutritionally? So first of all, we have to look at like, what is the diet that someone is eating? And is it a plant? Is it largely plant-based? Um, 
are they getting enough plants in the diet, even if they are eating meat? Um, but really, are they eating a lot of nutritionally void food? So fast food, packaged and processed food. Um, I find that when I work with a client and I get them cooking their own food more and not eating the packaged and processed or fast foods, that we get a lot of reduction quickly just from getting them into a more nutrient-rich diet. And so a lot of that is because we're really starting to get higher calcium and magnesium levels in the diet through the different foods that they're choosing. So calcium, first of all, protects the bones, reduces our risk of osteoporosis fractures. And it's recommended that postmenopausal women have a, a daily intake of between 1,000 and 1,500 milligrams of calcium, uh, preferably that this is coming from the diet um, and not necessarily from supplementation, but uh, the average person is getting about only 600 milligrams of calcium in the diet, and so we need to supplement with the rest. So when we're looking at calcium, dietary-wise, we're looking at leafy greens being probably one of your best sources and most easily absorbed sources of calcium. You'll, you'll notice I really did not put dairy as a source um, because, yes, we get calcium in dairy, but it's very difficult for us to have that calcium be used by the body. So getting our calcium from leafy greens, seeds, almonds, tofu, sardines, things. And I, I love that it's in figs too. Like I love figs. They're so delicious. So um, really great sources of calcium. Now, if, if I need to have a client supplement with calcium, I tend to go calcium citrate uh, because it's more easily absorbed in the body than other forms of calcium. And it's really beneficial for those that have impaired absorption from having inflammatory bowel disease, or they have maybe they have autoimmune, so they have very low stomach acid, um, or they're on an acid blocker. Uh, so I like calcium citrate for that. There, there are a few other forms of calcium, and so really, you know, kind of whichever one you pick is fine. But that's the one that I tend to go with. Uh, the, then um, we need magnesium in the diet. And so magnesium is cardioprotective, uh, helps to balance blood pressure, and reduces our risk of stroke. All, magnesium supports mood balance. I mean, so, you know, like thinking about women, when we're very stressed out, we tend to lean towards chocolate. And in that very dark chocolate, we get the magnesium. And that's kind of the thought of why we lean towards chocolate is because we're needing that, that magnesium for mood balance. Um, but magnesium also promotes restful sleep, uh, combats constipation. And so if you've ever taken too much magnesium, you know what I mean. Um, the minimum daily needs for magnesium are 400 milligrams. Uh, I find that my clients tend to need much more than that. But um, if we're looking at just getting magnesium out of the diet, uh, much uh, easier to tolerate high magnesium levels when we're eating it in food than if we're supplementing it. So magnesium can give us some pretty low stools. And to have to supplement with clients because we're 
any anymore. But some foods, again, um, almonds, tofu, nuts, seeds, dark spinach, things like that. So we're getting calcium and magnesium together in a lot of those foods, if we think about it, which is really, I mean, nature designs this perfectly, right? So um, now we need magnesium in order for our body to use calcium. But what's really interesting is that calcium inhibits the absorption of magnesium. And so when we're looking at having to do supplementation, but we're wanting good amounts of both calcium and magnesium, I usually will recommend a CalMag combination supplement in the morning and at lunchtime. But then at night, I'll have them take magnesium by itself. That way we get the amount of magnesium that we need. Um, and then it helps us sleep too. Nighttime, perfect time to be taking magnesium because it's a natural calming agent that helps us go to sleep. So that's how I do calcium and magnesium if I need to supplement. The third thing that we need to be really um, aware of is vitamin D. And so there are a lot of foods that provide vitamin D, but vitamin D does not get activated unless we have sun exposure. Um, the minimum daily requirement is 600 to 800 international units daily. I find that most people I work with are extremely D deficient, even though I'm in Arizona. And so um, the people that I work with are typically taking anywhere from three to 5,000 international units daily. And so um, because I'm an herbalist, I'm not a doctor. I usually will send my client to their doctor to have some blood work done. We check the vitamin D levels and then the doctor will recommend how much vitamin D for them to be taking. Um, and then I work with them on the, on the nutritional aspect of foods that will support their vitamin D. But again, you know, even in Arizona where it's bright and sunshiny all the time, we are a very D deficient population. Um, we don't really have access to vitamin D from the sun except for March through October. And then that's only between 10 and two. And if you've ever been in Phoenix, Arizona in the summertime, you don't really wanna be outside between 10 and two. <laughs> Most people go outside at seven or eight in the morning. And so we're really not getting the amount of vitamin D that we need. Um, and then we also are a society that loads ourselves up with sunblock. And so that inhibits our ability um, for vitamin D to be activated by sun exposure. And vitamin D also improves mood and focus. And so when I'm working with someone who is experiencing a lot of depression or anxiety, I am always having them go get their vitamin D levels checked. And it's amazing how deficient they are when that comes back and how much better they feel after um, you know, eight to 10 weeks of supplementation with vitamin D. So, you know, keep these nutritional considerations in mind when you're looking at um, menopausal symptoms that someone is having. Um, and then we look at phytoestrogens. And so these are isoflavones, phytosterols, and lignans. Um, these are compounds that are found in plants that exert a mild estrogenic effect in the body. So isoflavones are found in legumes such as 
soy, chickpeas, pinto beans, lima beans, and alfalfa. And lignans are present in seeds, fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. Uh, the high intake of soy and other dietary phytoestrogens is thought to explain why hot flashes and other menopausal symptoms don't occur with the same degree in cultures that eat a primarily plant-based diet. So Japanese women were found to have between 100 and 1,000 times higher levels of urinary phytoestrogens than American and Finnish women eating omnivorous diets. And so that might explain why they experience fewer hot flashes than we do during menopause. Um, now, it's important to know that soy is best eaten as tofu and soybeans and not the processed soy that we have in all of our packaged processed foods. So there's a big difference there. Um, so, you know, fermented like in miso soup is awesome. I love miso soup. So that's a great way. Um, and, you know, eating your edamame and your so eat your tofu, eat your edamame beans really, really good. Okay, so some botanical considerations for hot flashes. So first would be Simicifuga racemosa, that's black cohosh. The root is the part of this plant that we use. And then I always like to include the flavor. So the herbal flavors are bitter, sharp, acid, and spicy. And so, or that should say acrid, I'm sorry, acrid and spicy. Um, and so I like to, I like to think about the herbal flavors. And so this is not necessarily like flavor on the tongue, but flavor in terms of, uh, like looking at it from kind of a Chinese medicine perspective and what flavors mean in terms of action within the body. So this is bitter. So we're going to get some digestive stimulation, but it's also going to stimulate different bitter receptors throughout the body. And there was a great presentation in the practitioner learning community um, by Dr. Glenn Nagel, and he talked about bitters and the different receptors in the body and all of the different applications for bitters beyond digestion. And he spoke a lot about cardiovascular support because of bitter. So I encourage you to go back and find that presentation because it was really good and it'll give you a whole different way of looking at, at bitters. Um, but black cohosh is also a female reproductive tonic. And so it supports the hormone balance in the female reproductive tract. It's also antispasmodic. So we use this a lot in menstrual issues. Um, it's hypotensive. So here we have that cardiac support. So it's helping to lower or balance blood pressure. Um, there were more than seven clinical trials of Simicifuga, um, a, a particular Simicifuga product that showed efficacy similar to estrogen replacement therapy for hot flashes. So this tends to be kind of the number one thing people look at when they're starting to look at herbs for um, hot flashes. Now its mechanism of action is unclear. Uh, earlier studies had shown some concern about women with estrogen-driven cancers using it, but new research shows that it really does not stimulate estrogen receptor positive breast cancer cells, and that it actually aids the anti-proliferative effects of tamoxifen. It is recommended to limit simicifugas use to six months or less, um, just because there hasn't, hasn't really been 
any updated information on longer term use effects on the uterine tissue. But, you know, I tend to find that at least clients that I work with, I will have them on something for uh, eight to 12 weeks. And then we take a few, a couple week break, we might try, you know, I kind of change formulas up quite a bit. So I don't ever have somebody on this, you know, for six, eight, 10, 12 months at a time. I tend to find that they get some relief sooner than that. And we just really don't need to be going that long term. But that's just in my experience. Now, if you were going to give this as a liquid extract, um, or, or what some people call tincture, uh, its dose is typically one milliliter twice a day, or you could use dried herb. Let's say you were going to do it as a tea or a powdered capsule. You'd be looking at 250 milligrams to 500 milligrams twice a day. Um, I am a huge liquid herb person. So I use almost primarily liquid extract compounds. I just find that they're much more uh, bioavailable. And so we get results a lot quicker. Now, as I'm going through these herbs, keep in mind, too, that this is information related to using the single herb, but it's rare that an herbalist uh, will use herbs as singles. We will usually always combine them into formulation um, because we get synergy between the herbs. And so one and one doesn't necessarily equal two anymore when we put thoughtful herbs together, one and one could equal four or five in terms of the effectiveness of those herbs. So we learn them as singles, but we combine them in formulas. So a lot of the herbs today, very, um, they go very well together in formulas, so keep that in mind. So the next herb that we would look at would be Angelica sinensis, and that is uh, Dong Kwai. Sorry, I did not put the common name on there. I talk mostly in uh, terms of, of Latin names, just just so you know. But uh, So Dong Kwai, or Angelica sinensis, is a warming female tonic. The root of this plant is what is used, and its predominant flavors are sweet, bitter, and slightly pungent. And so it's often recommended for hot flashes and usually combined with black cohosh as well as other herbs based on each woman's individual needs. Uh, its effectiveness by itself has not been stellar. Whenever I have tried to use this by itself, I really don't notice much at all. But when I put this together with other herbs, that's when we really notice um, some good benefit. It does not bind to estrogen receptors as previously thought, and it does not alter blood hormone levels. So we used to think that that this really directly affected estrogen. We don't see that necessarily, but um, but we do get benefit from this when it's in formula with other herbs. Uh, it is a uterine vasodilator, um, so it may stimulate menses and increase the menstrual flooding if that is already an issue. Now, if you're if you're wanting to help to stimulate bringing on a menstrual cycle, awesome. If a woman is experiencing a lot of heavy flooding, this might not be the herb you want to put into your formula. There was a study of 55 postmenopausal women with hot flashes done, and half of them were given Angelica sinensis and Matricaria, which is chamomile. They were given that together. Um, half of them got that and half got placebo for 12 weeks. And I found it really interesting that within one 
one month, 68% of the women reported reduced hot flashes during the day, and 74% had reduced hot flashes at night. At the end of the 12-week time period, 90% of the women reported improvement both day and night from a combination of Angelica sinensis and Matricaria, which is chamomile. So that was fascinating to me. I love that. And so there is a link at the end of this in the resources to, um, to that. So you can take a look at that. Well, I wanted to talk about chaste tree. Uh, I think I don't have a slide for that right here. I, maybe I'll talk about that in the next one. Um, but the next thing is mood swings. Um, so I love this. I hate my moods. They never ask permission before they change. That seems to happen often during this time. We have all these hormones shifting. And, you know, my husband says I have a few different personalities because I can walk out of the room, one person come in, a whole nother one. <laughs> so I saw this and I thought, oh, yeah, that's appropriate. <laughs> so um, the the first herb that I like for um, mood swings is Leonoris cardiaca which is motherwort. Um, and so we use the aerial parts in, in bud stage. The flavor of this is bitter. Um, and so we get some, I think of bitter in motherwort being beneficial when someone has um, emotional upset that also causes some digestive upset. And that's when I really like this one. But also motherwort, um, the, the species name of cardiaca, tells us that this has effect on the heart. And so this helps to really support blood pressure or racing heart during times of stress. Stress, And so it really strengthens the heart. And so I like that one. But I also will look at um, our hormone regulators um, like um, Vitex, which is, which is chaste tree. Um, that one's often recommended at the beginning of menopause um, and then all the way through. And this is a really, that's a really good female reproductive tract regulator. Um, and so when we are looking at using regulators for the hormones, we will get some reduction in the mood swings based, simply by supporting how those hormones are shifting. But then I also look at traditional nervine based on what the woman's needs are. So skullcap, lavender, chamomile um, are adaptogenic herbs. And so there's a few presentations also in the Wise Woman Herbals Practitioner Learning Community um, on the website that talk about adaptogens and nervines. And so those would be beneficial to watch as well. And so then you're really pairing those types of herbs with the type of woman that you're working with and how does she show up during those times? You know, how does she react to the world around her? And that's then how I would choose my nervines. Um, but that's a whole nother class. So go and look that up. <laughs> okay. So, oh, here we have some Vitex. So you can see that. So when we're, to, uh, another common complaint is that the menstrual cycle is irregular during the, the menopausal years during that premenopausal time, uh, we can have a menstrual cycle that is scant, or we can have one that is very heavy. Uh, the cycles can come closer together, or they can come further apart. And so that's where Vitex really shines in helping to re regulate that time. 
Um, now there's also um, the the really heavy cycles, and so Capsella bursa pastoris is fantastic for slowing a really heavy menstrual flow. The other one that I like is Achillea millifolium, which is yarrow, um, but Capsella is really awesome. It derives its name from the heart-shaped seed pods that you can see um, that look like purses. And if you see that out in the wild and you, and you pick some and you shake it, you can hear the seeds shake inside those seed pods. It's really cool. But this was used for more than 2,000 years to staunch the flow of blood. And so soldiers in World War I would use this for their bleeding wounds. Um, and so we use this also for heavy menstrual flow, but you can use it for heavy bleeding of any kind. And yarrow, again, does uh, very similar. So if you were going to use this for that as a liquid extract, you're looking at about three milliliters of liquid extract at a time, four to six times a day in order to slow that very heavy menstrual bleeding. Um, but and for more information on irregular menses, I would then refer you back to part one of this women's health series, um, which is on the, the Wise Woman Herbals website, where I really go into more herbs surrounding irregular menses. And so that could be uh, whether we need to stimulate menses or um, slow a heavy menses. There's several other herbs. So I'm not going to go into that really heavy here right now because we did that in the last one. So I encourage you to go back and watch part one if you have not had a chance to watch that. The, the other major common complaint that women will come to me for is vaginal dryness. And so during menopause, when you think, of, when you think about a woman as we age, one of the biggest things you begin to notice as a woman ages, when you look at her face, is that the cheeks are not plump anymore, that our skin thins. And, you know, maybe we, we get those fine lines, we get some wrinkles, our cheeks begin to sink in, our skin is not as spongy as it used to be, it's not as elastic as it used to be. And so we're as we age, we lose elastin, which makes skin bounce back, and then we lose collagen, which gives us the plumpness. Now, if this happens in our face, this happens everywhere in the body. And so that means that we're losing collagen and elastin in the vaginal tissue as well. And this is all due to dropping hormone levels, um, as well as decreased blood supply um, to that vaginal tissue. So the vagina also shortens and begins to narrow as the estrogen levels fall, and it becomes more pale in color. And so it's more pale in color because we don't have as much circulation going to that tissue as we used to. The mucus glands also begin to atrophy, and so we get normal lubrication that is reduced or even stopped. And so sexual activity during this time can be painful because it's dry tissue. Two-thirds of women will complain of vaginal dryness and painful intercourse. But the really interesting thing is that those, those mucus glands um, that produce our lubrication they respond and are stimulated by sexual activity. So it's one of those things like have as much sex as you can because the more we use it, 
the better it works. And so now how can we get that to be a comfortable experience um, so that we can get those mucus glands producing again? Because they can. And so one of the things that I love to do is I, I love to make suppositories for my client because that's such a great way to get things directly onto that vaginal tissue. Now you can make creams as well if you like to compound things for your, for your clients or patients, um, creams or suppositories. And so the first thing that I look at is calendula officinalis. So what do we know about calendula? Most people who have ever used calendula know it's like our number one skin herb. It goes in probably every salve that people make. And that's because it's demulcent. And so that means that it moisturizes and it's considered vulnerary. And so vulnerary means that it stimulates cell repair and cell turnover. And so this is really great when we're looking at tissue that is thinning, um, tissue that has lost its collagen, Calendula also stimulates collagen production. Um, and so using this topically on the vaginal tissue is really beneficial during this time. Now we can also use this orally um, and, and then, so if you're looking at stimulating menstrual cycle, this would be a good one to choose because it is also a menagogue. Um, but I use this topically a lot in my protocols. And so you can mix it with a little bit of cocoa butter um, or even coconut oil. And so what you would do is you would take the flour of calendula and you, you could powder that really well and mix that into cocoa butter or coconut oil or whatever type of oil you wanted to use in order to deliver that and then use that topically in the, in the vagina. Um, you could probably also use like a calendula succus. And so a calendula succus is made from the juice of the fresh plant. Uh, so that would be something interesting to look at. Uh, next is Panex. This is ginseng. We have two different species of ginseng. There's the Asian, which is the Panex ginseng, or the American, which is the Panex quinquefolius. Uh, it's the root of ginseng that is used. Um, and it does seem to have indirect estrogenic effects. Um, there was a study that showed after six weeks of use orally, I'm talking oral dosing, um, microscopic evaluation of vaginal tissue showed improvement in vaginal dryness. And so the dosing orally for, for the ginsengs would be one to two milliliters, one to four times a day. Um, in order to use that uh, as an oral application for dryness as well as doing things topically. So I would, do, I would come at it from both ways if you could. Um, and so the women in that study also reported that they felt that there was much more lubrication than there had been previously. So that's, that's awesome because that's really what we're looking at is we want to get them to a comfortable lubrication level. And that comfort is different for each person. And so I'll, I find that I might be able to, to have someone on a particular protocol for, you know, a week or two, or maybe they're on it for three or four weeks before they get to their comfort level. It just really depends. 
the next things that I look at are vitamins A and E. They're both emollient and collagen stimulating. So vitamin A really supports the cellular structure of tissue. Um, and vitamin E just being very, very emollient or moisturizing. And so these two together, I find, are my favorite um, natural lubricant. And so I will put both of these oils in cocoa butter and make suppositories of A and E for my clients and have them use this as their natural lubricant. And this often if they come and do this first before trying one of the hormone creams, they find that they get really great comfort level from this and, and they either don't have to go and do those creams or they can go a lot longer than expected before they get to a point where that becomes something that they need to do. And then it's safer. We don't have the issues that, and the concerns that we would around using estrogen creams uh, especially in those that are at risk for estrogen-related um, cancers. So um, think about A and E uh, whenever you're thinking, whenever you're working with someone that is having difficulty with dryness. These are fantastic. The next thing that we would look at would be probiotics. So women. Um, complaining of chronic vaginal infections, so bacterial infections, uh, chronic candidiasis, or even chronic urinary tract infections. Um, this is directly related to the, the change in the pH level in the vaginal tissue. So premenopause, the pH of the vaginal tissue, tissue is about 4.0. And we find that postmenopausal is about 6.0. And the friendly bacteria, the lactobacilli, are markedly decreased or even completely absent, which just opens us up to these chronic recurrent infections. So I'm always recommending daily oral probiotics, but then I also recommend probiotics vaginally. And again, I'll mix these into coconut oil or cocoa butter and put it into a suppository I have them keep these ones in their refrigerator um, and then use them at night um, for, you know, seven to 10 days. And then we will go on to our A&E for a while and then we'll go back and we'll do another round of the probiotics. It just really depends on what they have going on. But really great way to get probiotics back into that vaginal tissue. You can even use the probiotic suppository type of preparation rectally. Um, if you're needing to. So my sample protocol. So this is kind of what I do each time that I'm working with someone. Um, this is kind of my basis. And then I'll customize this depending on who I'm working with. So my calcium magnesium supplement, again, a calcium citrate, I will have them do 150 milligrams of a CalMag supplement at breakfast and 150 milligrams at lunch. And then I have them do magnesium after dinner. Now, my favorite magnesium is Natural Calm. It's a powder that you mix into water and it makes a fizzy drink. It comes in some delicious flavors. So most people can tolerate this really well. And I have them start with a quarter to a half of a teaspoon of the powder and then work up 
each day. I'll have them go up a little bit more um, until they get to where their stool is a little bit loose. And then I have them back down to the dose before that. Um, and then, and they find right away that they start to sleep better. Um, so that's really helpful. I also will have my female clients make a daily infusion, an herbal infusion or what you might call an herbal tea. And so here's some herbs that I really love in an infusion, red clover, alfalfa, red raspberry leaf, and nettles. Um, some women I even will add some Vitex, which is chase tree berry in there. And so I have them make this as uh, in like say a 16 or 32 ounce uh, container. And then this becomes their main beverage during the day. They can either drink it iced or hot. I'm I'm a very warm person, so I love iced beverages. So I drink this as an iced tea a lot. Um, and I've had many of the women say that when they stop drinking their herbal infusion is when they start to have their symptoms come back and it's uncomfortable. They love this infusion. So um, adding that in is a really nice way to get that. Um, and they're getting a lot of vitamins and minerals from these herbs. These are really nutrient-rich herbs. So this is a, another great way to supplement to get all of the nutrients that someone needs. Now, if you make this as a cold infusion, that means you're, it's room temperature water. You have them put all the herbs into a jar. You put room temperature water over it, and you let that steep overnight. So we're talking, say, 10 to 12 hours. That long steeping time at room temperature water is, is now allowing the vitamins and minerals to be pulled from the herb. So we're getting this really nutrient-rich infusion. And so then after that, it doesn't matter if they heat it up to drink it or they're drinking it cold. They're drinking all the nutrients that they need. So really great way for supplementation. Um, then I listed menomorphosis liquid extract compound or women's menocap. And so these are both from Wise Woman Herbals. And I like these because they have all the herbs in there that we've talked about. And they've got a couple of more, a couple of others in there. But a lot of the herbs we talked about are in these formulas. And so they're really easy for me to use. Um, and I don't have to do a lot of compounding. Now I will add or, or adjust depending on who I'm working with. But th these are the base that I start with. I like Menomorphosis because it's a liquid. I typically find that my clients will have some reduction in symptoms within a few days of starting metamorphosis. Um, and then if they want something that is, you know, more convenient, like a capsule, women's mental caps is really great. But I find that women, it'll take a few weeks before they begin to really get good reduction in symptoms and good mood balance. So if you're needing that quick response, I would say go for metamorphosis, and especially if it's someone who's used to or willing to handle herbal flavors. Okay, if it's someone that's very new to herbs, women's mental caps is probably an easier choice in terms of compliance. Okay, but either one of those I would encourage you to take a look at. And then vitamin A and vitamin E vaginally, if their complaint is vaginal dryness or thinning tissue. And so if, you, if you're going to use vitamin A and E together, you would just do that each night until they have achieved their comfort level. 
And then I find a woman might only need to do that one or two times a week after that. Um, but that depends on what they feel is comfortable. And so I have them insert that at night, go to sleep. And then throughout the whole next day, they just feel much more moist in the, in the tissue and much more comfortable than they did before. Um, so they don't need to do it, do it during the day, just at night. They would insert that and go sleep very easy. Um, if the issue is thinning tissue or tissue that tears very easily, then I would also include calendula. Now you could put those all together. You could make your own suppository or a cream that has calendula and vitamin A and vitamin E together. Awesome. Or you can alternate those. And so I put on there like how you would how long you would alternate that for. Um, if this is somebody that has recurrent infections, then I would do a probiotic vaginally and orally um, vaginally for seven to 14 nights and then orally every day. And so this is kind of the basis of what I, what I go through um, when I'm working with somebody who's experiencing a lot of these symptoms that we've talked about and then customizing from there. So again, looking at um, nervines maybe if their complaint is a lot of mood swings or um, additional things that support the sleep cycle uh, so really looking at who is this person that you're working with and what are their very specific needs. And number one thing, what is their diet like? What is their lifestyle like? And having a conversation again about what are their beliefs around menopause and their beliefs around their womanhood and their femininity and uh, really coming to a place where they can embrace this time of life. Because it's really such a special time and it's such this time where we get to enter this period of freedom. Uh, you know, we don't have children that we're taking care of anymore. We don't have to have a menstrual cycle anymore. And so we really get to go out and have this amazing life at this point in time. And it's, it's awesome. So um, Wise Woman Herbals, uh, I think uh, Dr. Farshad will mention this, but I'm going to go ahead and do it. Um, they're offering 10% off your entire order because you were on this webinar. So thank you for being here. And so there's a promo code here and that's valid for one week from today. I also just wanted to show you the menomorphosis and the women's menocap. So you know what those look like. Uh, the menomorphosis being that liquid extract compound that I talked about. And then the women's menocap. These are both the exact same formula. It's just one is liquid and one is capsule. So take a look at those when you go on the website to use your promo code. And if you have any questions or you need to contact me, um, here's my contact information. My website's herbalwisdominstitute.com and that's the phone number. My um, Herbal Wisdom Institute is in Arizona. Um, and so yeah, reach out to me. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know if you have any questions. I'd love to talk with you. And so I just thank you so much for being on here and I think that uh, Dr. Farshad is managing if we've had any questions that have come through on the chat. But if not, we'll open it up right now. And if you have a question, you're welcome to ask, and I'd be happy to uh, try to answer that for you. Uh, so we haven't had any questions come in so far through chat, but if you like, you're more than welcome to type that in now. Otherwise, you're also more than welcome to unmute yourself and ask. 
Chris, I have a question for you. Um, what advice do you have for the practitioner who might get a client or patient that is looking for hormones and uh, maybe this is their first time having a natural approach to menopause and so that might be a challenging conversation or even trying to persuade them into trusting the process. What advice do you have practitioners when they have a client uh, like that come in who may not have had natural options before for menopause support? So when I'm working with, with my clients, I, I have a very strong belief that I need to meet that, that client right where they're at. And so if someone comes in and they say that they're looking to go on a hormone replacement therapy, then we just really sit and have a conversation about what do you know about hormone replacement therapy? Um, why are you feeling like that's something that you need? Um, are you open to looking at various options, either in place of or in support of that hormone replacement therapy? We also have a conversation about what are risks and benefits of doing hormone replacement therapy or not, what are risks and benefits, um, and again, based on their medical history of the natural therapies, because we also have that conversation that everything, you know, just because it's natural and it's an herb doesn't mean that, it, that it's inherently benign. You know, so we need to look at their risk factors for a variety of different things. Are they on any other medications? All of those kinds of things. And I just have a really open, candid conversation with them. Of course, I would love to support them 100% natural. For some people, that's the option. For some people, it's not. And so I really want to support my client exactly where they're at. And if they 100% feel that hormone replacement therapy is what they want, then that's what I, I partner on them with. And then I help to recommend them to a naturopathic physician who is really well-versed in that and that does bioidenticals. Um, and I really help to set them up with a practitioner that is going to be best for them. So they know that I'm there for the, the botanical and the nutritional aspect in terms of support, but that I'm also open to what are their wants and needs? So really making sure that I have a team around me that I can refer people to. And so I encourage if you're a, a, a naturopathic physician or a medical doctor um, listening to this, that you, you look to make sure you have a team as well. So you may have a patient that comes in to see you that doesn't want hormone therapy. So then how can you support that patient um, in a natural way by referring them to someone in your network, an herbalist in your network that is really well-versed in supporting women's health naturally. And that the two of you then can work together as a team for that patient. I don't know if I answered your question, but that's my philosophy. <laughs> yes, Thank you so much. That was great advice, Chris. Well, if you do have any questions that come up later, please feel free to contact Chris or uh, you can even contact uh, Wise Woman Herbal's customer service and they can get a way to get you in touch with her or, and, or have you have your answer uh, um, to you quickly. Um, so it looks like we are out of time. Um, again, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, please let us know. Um, 
And on behalf of Wiseman Herbals, thank you again for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you on the next webinar. Thanks, Chris. Thank you.